Hello and welcome to Despite the Government Podcast. My name is Buiga Adeoya. Happy to welcome you again to another episode. Today we're talking to a Nigerian entrepreneur and investor with vast experience in managing and advancing startups. I'm talking about Mr. Ayoshopiton. He's the founder and chief executive officer at Metalex Commodities. He identifies as a world citizen. He's also a mentor on the Tony Elumelu Entrepreneurship Program. Mr. Ayo. Thank you so much for granting this interview. Not a problem at all, Brilliant. Nice, uh, nice to be here. Despite the government, brought to you by Tam and Buega, this podcast is a window for African entrepreneurs and innovators within Africa and all across the globe to discuss ideas towards advancing the cause of a new, vibrant Africa. Find and subscribe to Despite the Government wherever you get your podcast. This is Despite the Government's podcast. Enjoy this episode. Hey everyone, um, quick apology here. The first 10 minutes or thereabouts was badly recorded and you might experience some difficulty listening to the audio, but it gets better past 10 minutes. We sincerely apologize for that and I hope you enjoy the conversation with Ayo Shokwiton. Yes, so I was trying to get familiar with um, your profile, and I, I saw you've been busy in the in the startup space for for quite a while. In twenty eighteen, you started uh, a business, I believe, by the name Pendulum Technologies, and then in twenty twenty, yeah. Kuro Holdings, and also yeah. in the middle of the pandemic, Metalex Commodities came to be. Uh, tell us a bit about your background from your education and getting into the business world. So. Um uh, I was born and raised in Loring and then um, ended up leaving Loring to finish secondary school in Abdelkuta and then uh, right after that, uh, well actually years after secondary school, I left for the US okay. where I got a degree in business from Bryant University in Rhode Island. Uh, after that, I went to go work at... Uh, Ernst & Young was my first, uh, like I've, I like to describe it, that was called uh, Technology and Security Risk Services, right? Mm. Uh, I believe everyone calls it cybersecurity now, but uh, so I, I was doing that. That was how it started. Uh, yes. So I, I, I ended up uh, transferring from, I started in, the, in their Boston office and then I ended up moving to their Toronto office. Uh, after that, I went back to school. Uh, at New York University, where I did a degree program jointly offered by the business school and the computer science department. In there, I was basically studying at the intersection of technology and finance, essentially. Mm. Um, after that, I went to work in commodity trading and risk management for a company called OpenLink Financial. Uh, actually, before finishing grad school, as it's typical for a lot of graduate programs, I was at, I, I was required to do an internship between my first and second years. Okay. Uh, I, I chose to, to do that internship in Nigeria because in 2009, uh, I had been gone for nine years and I didn't feel like I knew anything about Nigeria. Hmm. <laughs> like I'd only been once in Nigeria. You left in years. year 2000, early millennium. Yes. Yes, That's exactly. A- Different so, so I felt like you know it was an opportunity to go back and uh, familiarize, work, and just learn. Yeah. So uh, I worked at Accenture uh, okay. in BI for three months, um, and uh, you know I was very lucky because it was just a three-month internship. But uh, but in those three months, I worked on some fantastic projects. Yeah. Uh, I worked on Access Bank's uh, African expansion project. So okay. basically, how they open branches all across Africa. So mm. I was part of the team that interviewed the key people at Access Bank at the time mm. to then document their standard operating procedures, which they then sent to each of these countries to start new branches. So now that I, I'm in a business where I travel Africa quite a bit. Yeah, you have a network. Yes, yeah, so I also feel there's a small sense of pride that. You know, 
I was part of the beginning, yeah. Yeah, so whenever I had access back to branch in Zambia or mm. wherever in Senegal, um, I'm, I'm quite uh, proud. So, so after that, I came back to the U.S. Um, my my first startup was also around that period. I was working with, uh, with some good friends, Larry Oyedotso, who I went to uh, to undergrad with in the U.S. and Dibola uh, Diola and some other guys. We started a company called uh, Top of Genie. Which was like uh, one of the first, I think, the first company to offer uh, mobile top-up. Like basically, instead of, in in '09, you had to buy a scratch a- cards. Airtime, yes. Uh, yeah, airtime, exactly. So it's called so virtual top-up now. Yes, exactly. So we were the, were the first to do that, and you know, it was going okay, but you know, it wasn't as successful as we wanted. So I came back to the U.S. Uh, to finish grad school, and then. Right after grad school, I joined OpenLink Financial, which is a commodity trading firm yeah. uh, in New York. Um, yeah, and uh, from there, my interest in commodities uh, was yeah. was was rekindled, I would say, because uh, uh, my mother had a cashew export business okay. uh, when I was a kid, and my grandfather had a cocoa export business. So yeah, I've kind of been around commodities in some shape or form yeah basically all my life so yeah so i i did that uh for seven eight years uh then started doing some independent consulting in yeah. that space and then eventually started uh pendulum is, is all i do now with oh, okay. i started Pen- pendulum was my independent consulting business by the way so okay. it, was, it was it was yeah so uh, yeah so that's that's how i was running consulting services and then uh, so I started uh, Cura Holdings at uh, Cura Holdings as like a holder of small business mm. uh, portfolios just mostly in the US that's just like a, a US thing yeah and then uh, Metalic which is my main business no. uh, is, is, uh, is what I ended up starting and that's what I do now so, yeah. this this sounds like a roller coaster it sounds like you've been you know from 2000 2005 all the way up sounds like you you you've seen a lot you've experienced a lot and I'm fascinated by that so um let me call that cybersecurity connecting to risk management and you know business and there was one other end of the triangle but how were you able to circle eventually into commodities i mean i'm looking at your experience already in tech you could have gone into deep tech and but but you eventually came back to commodities how did you circle that back was it just the love that you know the experience you've had with your mom and dad or there was more no no it was uh that's a good question actually because um it was it was a combination of you know that background and also the job that I got okay. uh, after after graduate school. So after grad school, I was working for this company, whose job it was to help commodity uh, commodity trading companies to mitigate loss, right? Yeah. So so you know, and by commodity trading company it was a very broad thing. Like we had clients like Shell, Chevron, mm. uh, Exxon Mobil on the energy side and then we had on the ag side we had ADM, Cargill, you know, like the big names. And then on the metal side we had, you know, Glencore, MRI, Trafigura, like the biggest and these are some of the biggest companies in the world. I mean, the last time I, I visited Glencore as an employee of my last company, mm-hmm. uh, they, they they earned $350 billion in revenue. So these are, I mean, That's these huge. are, Giants, yes. right? So, so um, I, I got this job, and I was working in commodities, and I was seeing lots of value being moved, and usually the value was being moved out of Africa mm. uh, by non-Africans, mm. right? Uh, uh, and you know, these guys were getting extremely wealthy, 
Uh, I was comfortable. I can never complain. I've been very, very lucky in my life so far, so I can't complain. But mm. at the same time, you saw you what, know, was, ha- I had, what was happening. I had, yeah, I saw what was moving. I saw what was. Uh, I said no. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is major. <laughs> I said it's not like that. Too. I cannot just be sitting on the sidelines and speaking English, you know. So, um, in fact, there, there's a very specific point. Uh, that I reflect back on that, that led me to starting Metalex. Uh, and, and it was a time when the guy that eventually became my partner and I, we were visiting Glencore. Glencore, I mean, big, big mining and metals trading company uh, in, Switzerland. in Switzerland. So we were in there at Switzerland head office. And, I, you know, we flew into Zurich, rented a car, drove from the airport to their office. And the guy that we went to meet was like, it, 29 or 30 year old little boy that you know came to the same meeting in a ferrari right Mm. so now as a sharp guy (laughs) like i'm here to talk to you (laughs) you know so i'm here to as the expert right i was the commodity trading expert i was a consultant and you that i'm coming to teach something to you you came to it to the meeting in a ferrari me i drove a fiat that was rented so i said no yeah. you know it, it felt a bit um uh you know incongruous and it, and it took it took us to the conference room and they had this giant map of the world with dots on it showing all their assets uh, around the world and i it, it struck me that they had zero assets at the time yeah. anyway in europe and this is a European company, right? Yeah. Zero assets in Europe. Most of their assets were in Africa, and mm. and they were making three hundred and fifty billion dollars a year. So I said, no, uh, I need to join the, the other state. side. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. So so it was it was it was a combination of um, you know the education I got into the location I was. I was in New York, which is a, a finance heavy uh city yeah. uh you know and also just luck i mean because when i applied for that job i didn't even know i didn't really understand what they were doing but i just applied because i wanted a job because uh, top of genie was not blowing the way <laughs> the way we wanted it to blow so, mm. uh, so so i just applied randomly so i can't say that i truly planned it it just sort of yeah, yeah. a bunch of factors kind of came together to make it happen yeah that sounds exciting and it, it leads me to you know the necessary space africa and commodities the, the right. story has been told over and over again how congo has you know the best minerals nigeria has petroleum and gold and some of these bauxite and stuff and across africa you know there is commodities there is hard and soft materials that that are needed to advance but we don't seem to get the bread where are we on that on that front? Is it government based? Is it you know? Is it the same regular African problem? Uh, it's it's a very good question. So um, there are two broad ways that people. I mean, let's say three that people like to answer this question that you've asked. So what's the problem? We have the resources. So what's the problem? Uh, the first one is like a conspiracy theory where someone will tell you, well. Europeans will not let you have your peace yeah, because they underdeveloped uh, Africa. Yes, and and not completely untrue, right? It's not yeah. completely true. Um, then there's the you know the government is useless, bad leadership, and yeah. which is also not untrue. But as a as a private sector player, um, I can yeah. also tell you that there's a people problem. Right, um, and 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 uh, so, for example, uh, there are names I could mention, but I can. You know, this is a public thing, so I, I cannot. I cannot say those names. But th- there, there are transactions that we did when Metalex first started in Nigeria yeah. that are still pending EFCC cases today because mm. someone takes money is supposed to deliver x does not deliver anything or delivers a fraction of what is supposed to deliver and runs away right uh you know so that's a people problem you can't blame the government for that of course you can argue that if if the system had a functioning justice system uh Mm -hmm. that 
where you have legal recourse if, if somebody were to uh, try to uh, swindle or get advantage take advantage uh, that maybe people will behave better if there are consequences to bad action but uh, but ultimately I think there's a people problem uh, there's an expertise problem as well um, the company the countries that do well at least in my own industry which is mining and metals the countries that do well in Africa like Ghana uh, Zambia uh, um, South Africa I, uh, south africa they tend to have very strong uh feeders uh, feeder system from the universities into mm. the mines so so they have strong mining education so, yeah you know there's a university in, in yeah called copper belt university uh it's in a place called copper belt because there's a lot of copper there <laughs> right mm. um yeah so so you know people come out of that university with mining engineering degrees with metallurgy degrees and things like that right so there's there's a ready workforce to sort of work in, in mines but um there's uh the general african problem of basically there's no access to capital um, you know, so there's that problem as well. But yeah. these problems are not insurmountable if we can fix uh, the people problem. And secondarily, if we can fix regulation problems as well. So like Nigeria recently banned the export of ores. So basically they're saying that you cannot export any raw metal from Nigeria anymore, right? Hmm. Uh, the problem with that is on paper, yeah, it sounds good. Like, oh, you must process locally. But then, is, mm. where, is the, where is the electricity, electricity that you use to process, right? Yeah. Where is the infrastructure? How even the feedstock, if I put a processing plant in Nigeria today, I have a friend that has a million dollar processing plant in Nasarawa. There's nothing to feed it with, mm. right? Um, you know, and the thing has been sitting there for well over two or three years, right? So those types of rules are not well thought out, in my opinion, uh, yeah. because ores have value, right? So why can't you allow Boyega, the miner, to take his ores to China, even if he's only selling 200 tons a month? And yeah. when he takes some of his proceeds, he comes back, now he's working on 300 tons, now 400 tons. Before you know it, he builds something substantial. But he needs mm -hmm. that low-hanging fruit of getting the value that's inside the ore for him to have mm -hmm. a starting point. And we've kneecapped that opportunity by, mm -hmm. uh, ban, by, by that ban today, right? But I am of the opinion that we can two, do two things at once. One is we can push for better regulation, we can criticize government, we can try to get a seat at the table, tell them, and try to influence policy, we can do that. But at yeah. the same time, we have to find a way to get things done in spite of the government. The government. That, yeah. That's really interesting. I like that because that's not just the space where this is happening. Um, Rice was locked in and out for some years, you know, locked the borders because mm. you don't want you don't want rice in from Thailand, so you want us to grow and produce. And then the price has gone up because there is a problem with the farmers, you know, problems on yeah. problems. On the other end, we see that there is kidnapping in the north. Chinese are being kidnapped in Kano where they try to mine. There is local interactions with, you know, local people. Some of them don't have a safe environment to operate. So I wonder what, um, what's the current the state of mining and you know minerals exploration in nigeria at some point government gave license to a company to mine gold in ogun state that started bit and then we didn't see so much from that is there a particular um you know advocacy or a particular urge from the private sector to government this is what you want what we want you to do for instance a new government is coming in is there a particular mm. A policy direction that the community of miners in the private sector wants to see, you know, what kind of change you want to see in, in the policy statement? Yeah, so uh, if, if if someone sat me down and said, uh, you know, what, what kind of um, policy changes I'd like to see in mining, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is the government has to find the money to do the primary 
uh, investigation of mining assets. So what does that mean? Um, for me to be able to come in as an investor and start um, working on an asset, the first yeah. in any country, the starting point usually is uh, a national geological survey. So the government has done a survey of the entire land, right? So you go, so you are not going in blind. Right? So they'll mm -hmm. tell you, okay, this particular area, there's this, there's that, there's this, there's that. Uh, some of our reports, some of our National Geological Survey data came from the British pre-independence. Mm. That's obviously not good enough. I mean, that makes no sense, right? Like, mm. So we need to find the funding to do that. I know that uh, under uh, the, the, the fire me, um, uh, uh, Monday. When, when it was when it was when it was minister, yes. there was some additional data that was collected, and now under David, there's there's some work that's ongoing. But that's like the first starting point. Is I think the country needs to map its resources a bit better as yeah. a starting point. Uh, the second thing is um, there's something called risk capital. Hmm. Uh, that big projects like mining can can mining can be expensive and because it can be expensive somebody needs to come in with risk capital to do the initial exploration so that the people who want to spend money can spend money with confidence right mm -hmm. uh, uh, that's typically, that's like a good role for the government to play. It's like, okay, there's some initial exploration that's been done. Now, Mr. Investor, please uh, take this data, go and yeah. work on this area. And, and you know, of course, you still have to do detailed exploration, but you won't be starting from scratch. Today, what happens in Nigeria is guesswork. In fact, hmm. me and some of my friends in the industry, we call it uh, explore mining because, you know, so you have, you have like, you have one brush that, that goes to a particular place, see a stone on the ground and say, ah, this stone is no normal stone. Uh, he takes that stone. stone, he goes and he tests it. He says, ah, the thing has 2% lithium inside. Ah, there's lithium here. Hmm. He has forgotten his secondary school geography that there's such a thing called weathering. There's hmm. erosion. There's, you know, there's so many factors that could have brought that stone from miles away. Yeah. So he starts digging where he found the stone and he doesn't find anything, right? Because it's just, spent. and money is being spent. So, so you know, uh, in terms of policy, I'd like to see, you know, uh, map you know the government map, uh, map things out, provide some risk capital to help bigger guys who wants to who want to come in to yeah. uh to do it on a larger scale so yeah sounds like it i hope my favorite candidates when they come in can can look at that um <laughs> good luck to us yeah. <laughs> good luck to us so let's talk about the details of the work being done at metalex founded in may 2020 you were already in the space and this was in the thick of the pandemic and you felt let's announce this so what yeah. does Metalex commodities mean? I, I, you know, buying from this person, I found a quote on your website, ethically sourced Pan-African metal commodities, being able to trade. So kindly yes. break some of these things down, down for us. Yeah. So, so, um, Metalex, uh, we started, uh, basically as a trading firm. Uh, what does that mean? So it means we were basically, I, I traveling Nigeria initially. Uh, when we started, we started in Nigeria. During the pandemic, uh, you know, there, there are many stories <laughs> from that. Yeah, very uh, You know, we were tra yeah, traveling the country looking for, uh, for, for metals to buy. Um, I came to Nigeria with some money in my pocket with two countries uh, that, you know, that had... Um, uh, I had secured uh, with, with counterparties in China. One was for 500 tons of lead, the other one was for 500 tons of zinc. And 
essentially what that meant was I needed to buy 500 tons of, of each of those commodities and ship them to China. Typical buy low, sell high, right? Uh, right? So you buy, you buy at X, you try to sell at 1.2 X and you repeat, right? Um, hmm. And then I quickly found out that there isn't a lot of volume in the system. Uh, like people are not producing, uh, which makes sense, right? Like people don't just hit the ground and start producing tons and tons of the material if they don't know where it's going to be sold. So a lot of people expect you to come give them money upfront. They go use your money to work and then they deliver volume to you. Now, that is obviously quite high risk, right? Um, so the, the trading was initially us trading. And then we had a vision that Boyega from Oyo State can uh, alert us of his 20 tons that he has, mm. right? And then he brings his 20 tons to a designated warehouse um, where it's tested, it's weighed, and he gets paid, and he gets paid there, right? Yeah. Uh, now yeah. imagine you had 2,000 Boyegas every month bringing 20 tons. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's what we were thinking. Uh, we then found also that um, there's a lot of infrastructure that we would need to build in order to enable that sort of trading. Um, to yeah, to 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 work. So we we ended up focusing on building up our own trading uh, chops, our own trading credentials. By uh, you know, so we, we moved. Uh, we've moved a few thousand tons of, of uh, manganese, lead, copper, yeah. zinc, yeah, so far, yeah. uh, across Nigeria, uh, Mauritania, and Zambia. Yeah, that sounds like, you know, a lot of work already. And I was going to push and ask how the yeah. infrastructure in Nigeria and elsewhere, you know, you, you're trying to build your own network, your own trading format, uh, but how yes. does the Nigerian society and other African countries existing problems? Uh, how do those affect how you move? I'm sure transportation is a big deal. Um, trust is another issue, and all of that. Yeah. So, so in Mauritania, for example, the mine that we're we're working on is 600 kilometers from the from the port, from the capital, right? So just getting there is like a, a serious problem because you know, like I can fly there it's in the middle of nowhere. It's in the Sahara Desert, right? Mm. So there are challenges around uh, uh, just traveling there and things like that. Um, there are no security risks there per se. Um, it's a safe place for the most mm. part. Um, there are trust issues everywhere on the continent. Um, yeah. Most people have never seen a thousand dollars before. Now you want yeah. to come and you do a transaction that's five hundred thousand dollars, and people lose their minds, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so there, there's that that we're dealing with on a daily basis. But uh, as a business, our current focus is to build out our own infrastructure. Which by that we mean, uh, so for example, in Nigeria, we ended up backward integrating into yeah. mining ourselves, right? So we have, have some mining equipment that has turned in Joss where we were mining tin, Bauchi uh, mm -hmm. where we're mining uh, uh, lithium, um, and so on. So we backward integrated into mining, and then the next step uh, is, which we're currently in that step, is building yeah. out the infrastructure, so warehouses and processing plants. Um, yeah. So because because that then enables the original vision of trading, because now yeah. I can tell a guy like bring your ten tons to my warehouse where it will get processed. Hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, there will be designated warehouses like you know. Uh, funny enough, right now we're we're prioritizing uh, building our warehouses in uh, in Zambia because it's a slightly easier. Place to work than Nigeria, but 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 uh, eventually we'll, we'll get around to Nigeria. But but the vision of allowing each person, each individual miner or or miners of any size, really. So 
It could be Boyega, the individual miner, or Boyega, the cooperative with his hundred yeah. friends, or yeah. Boyega that runs a small scale mine that can produce decent volumes. Everybody mm -hmm. can bring their volume to our warehouse where it gets tested and vetted and, and gets prepped for export, right? That that vision is what we're now working on. Um, but, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you have, there's a lot. So uh, if you have specific questions about that, I can, I can always. Yeah, answer. yeah. I, I mean, it gets technical and we might not get, we might not be able to decipher all the technicalities, but I, I think we've been able to establish that, you know, what the private sector, like yourself, a player in the private sector is doing, will, I'm sure there, there are maybe a few other agencies or companies like yours who are doing the same thing. We just want to be sure mm -hmm. that people are making moves because that's what we generally believe in on Despite the Government podcast. We have seen advancements come from the startup space in Nigeria. We have moved you know, what we could have done, what could have taken 10 years to do, Paystack and other companies around them were able to do in five years and they have yeah. solved some payment problems. So we believe that it takes some time, but then we are able to move faster. We are so far behind in a lot of spaces and it's great to see that someone, you know, some people are working to build the infrastructure that we all, a lot of us expect government to build. So that's really the crux of uh, our conversation. But uh, speaking of Metalex and, you know, what can be achieved, do you see the potential? And like you said, Nigeria has not been really mapped, mapped out like that, but is there real potential? Do we really have these minerals according to the British, um, the reports that they have from way back, is there really something yeah. that we're that we're not exploring enough here? Okay, so so let me let me give you some some interesting information uh, about about the Nigerian mining opportunity. So we are we are very focused on crude oil, as you know. Yeah. Um, okay. So so let's let's assume, and you can actually bring out a calculator. To, to, to play with these numbers. Let's assume okay. that for the next 50 years, Nigeria is producing crude oil at $100 a barrel, and we're doing 2 million barrels a day, which is the, the metric a lot of us grew up hearing, right? 2 million barrels a day. Um, I believe over 50 years, that comes out to about $3 trillion, but you can fact check me on that. I, I don't know. I've played yeah. around with these numbers. I'll be on it. Let's work with three trillion. That's a lot. What can that do yes. in infrastructure, for instance? Okay. So, but, Bridges but that was so, no, no. But 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 listen. So that three trillion is is over a fifty-year period. So yeah, of course it can build a lot of roads, but then it means that it will take us a lot of time to to earn that money to build the roads. And of course, of course, you cannot sell crude oil and go and start building roads. You have to pay back your debts. Yes. You have to have to pay salaries of senators, governors, local government chairmen, right? Right. So, you know, so so yeah. So we're very excited about crude oil. Justifiably so. It's a valuable resource. Uh the world is pivoting away from from it as an energy source, but I mean it will still stay relevant for many, many, many other reasons, like packaging, plastics, uh, yeah. you know, there are different reasons, right? Okay, cool. Now, uh, let's take what Nigeria calls its seven strategic minerals, according to the Ministry of Mines. Our seven mm. strategic minerals, meaning uh, the country is particularly interested in those seven, right? Uh, yeah. Also, meaning if Boyega were to start a company, uh, working in these minerals, uh, he would be able to get support from the government in some way, in some yeah. way. In, okay, now, the seven, if I can remember them off the top of my head, is lead, zinc, limestone, bitumen, coal, gold, uh, and something, whatever. Right? You can look them up. Mm. Uh, I did some math, right? And based on these old British surveys, and some of the newer ones that the country has done itself in the last yeah. you know, a number of years, the value of those seven alone, right? Yeah. 
uh, if you ask the ministry, they will say we have some. If you ask the minister, he will say 48. If you ask the minister of state, he will say 72. You know, whatever, right? We have a lot of different minerals is the bottom line, right? And seven yeah. of them, I did the math based on the market value at the time. Uh, it's worth over a hundred trillion dollars, right? Yeah. Um, our, our GDP, I think, peaked at 500 billion, which is half mm. a trillion, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so half a trillion means our metals, our, our minerals, this top seven is worth 200 years of GDP. Something like that, yeah? Okay, so so that's the scale of the opportunity. The joke is that you can dig up your grandfather's backyard anywhere in Nigeria and you'll find hmm. something. I'll find something, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay, so that's the joke. Now, um, why aren't we able to do anything with it? I mean, so your question is, is there opportunity? Oh, of yeah. course. Um, there's massive opportunity. In fact, Act. About 3 million people claim to be miners in Nigeria. Yeah. Hmm. Artisanal miners, individual guys who just, you know, if you go to places in Ebony, you know, the guys that live in big cities like Lagos, Ibadan, or Harcourt, can, they think life is life starts and ends there, right? They don't there think people, so. There are people in villages in Abakaliki that are mining hmm. lead. Yeah? And they, Josh. Uh, in Josh, they are mining tin. In Oshun, mm. they are mining gold. In Zamfara, mining gold. In KB, they are doing gold and, uh, and mining. Uh, uh, in Nassau, some of this is back, back channel too, backyard yeah. dealing. A, a, a lot of it is is uh, is informal. I, I preferred the term informal rather instead of illegal, right? Um, because you know, all you need is to formalize them, right? You just yeah. you know. Okay, so 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 that's that's the current landscape. Now, where is the opportunity? I've always believed that a graduate that is struggling to make ninety thousand naira a month in Ibadan or, yeah. or, or or in Lagos could go to. I mean, I'll give you real numbers. Our our lithium site in uh, in Bauchi, we had. Yeah. Uh, uh, at some point, we had 40 workers uh, daily, right? And these guys, I believe they were earning uh, 100 that naira. Okay. No, 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 they were earning per bag. Okay. Uh, so I think it was 100. I have to check the records, about 100, maybe 150 naira per bag, right? Mm. Um, now, do the math. The most efficient of them could do about a hundred bags a day. Mm. Um, do the math. What does that translate to in a month? That's ten thousand a day. Yes, if he's if he's working twenty two days a month because you don't want him to die, right? So he takes his weekends off. You know, he's making well over two hundred thousand. Yeah. In, but he lives in the village. He did not mm. spend any time in Unilag, University of Ibadan, didn't pay school fees, he doesn't even want to speak English, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there are people that are doing, in Kebi, people that are doing gold sands, that are making 50,000 a day, right? Wow. So, so, so that's the scale of the opportunity. How mm. does one then harness that? That's the question Metalex is looking for. Normalize the sector. Right? Uh, that's the question we're trying to answer, and the way we're we're we're, we're, we're answering it is essentially to um, build out the, the the warehousing infrastructure because that's the key thing, right? You need yeah. you need a place for you need a destination for each of these people to bring their stuff, yeah. and and from that destination it needs to go outside of the country to yield the maximum value, and yeah. when those guys that deposit the, the, the material with you. When they get to, when when they get paid, they can go back and do more and more and more and more. So, uh, you know, so that there, there there are two things that we're working on. Um, one is we're calling it the minor empowerment program, um, mm. where a minor can come to us. You know, after he's registered, he gets, and we've we've, we've done this. We've, we've been doing this uh, quietly. Uh, he gets uh, PPE, so he gets helmets, gloves, goggles, 
reflective vests and boots, <laughs> right? Uh, just to get him to work in a better working environment, right? Um, yeah. The second thing the empowerment entails is training. So we can say, ah, bros, you know, you've been doing it like this, consider doing it like that, right? The third That's thing is that he can come and actually lease equipment from us, right? You can, yeah. you know, you can get an excavator to work on an area for him. And, you know, when he brings his material to us, we, we, we deduct the cost of all of those things uh, and mm. pay him fair share, right? Um, so that, that minor empowerment thing is something that we've, we, we started over a year ago in Nigeria. We've been doing that. The second thing is we have a technology platform where uh, all these guys are documented, right? So we know Boyega. We know where he mines. We know what he mines. We know the volume he does. So the government can easily track his income. In fact, we, we're, we're even saying we're deducting the royalty um, that belongs yeah. to government from his money, and we are sending it directly to the government, right? Yeah. So, so you know, so we're 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 doing. Already I think one of, sector. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and one of your questions at the beginning, I think, was how do we interface with the government? Yeah. Um, you know, so one one of the ways is through this um, formalization effort, through this empowerment, whatever you want to call it, and through our technology platform. Keep in mind, you know, I have a pretty strong uh, technology background, right? Um, we are now partnering with, um, with, with governments. Uh, we have one that was recently given to us uh, in a boy where, you know, the government has built uh, a processing facility that is under our management. But we are looking to roll that out in many different states. That's mm -hmm. our strategy. Nigeria to do it at the state level and at the federal level where the opportunity exists. So, you know, the opportunity is massive and we we want to invite educated people who don't mind a little hard work, yeah. who don't mind a little getting dirty. I mean, I, I spend a lot of my time in mine pits, right? You know, when I'm traveling, I, you know, I don't mind it, right? So, of course, I'm not going to dig out the mineral myself, uh, but 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 I but I don't mind being and seeing what is happening and seeing how the opportunity can be formalized. So yeah, so the, the opportunity is is that big. Yeah, interesting. I, I love that, and uh, you know the conversation just gets into different segments, different sectors, and restructuring just popped into my mind when you mentioned state and federal governments and. I wonder if by any chance Nigeria's next president, I'm making this to Nigerian, even though your your work spreads across Africa, but in Nigeria, for instance, as a point of connection to other countries in Africa, if for any, by any chance the next dispensation in Nigeria restructures the government such that states have more power, are there it sounds like there will be some this would affect the mining sector in a way states would then have to manage if they agree some of their resources with more power than the federal government i mean you see that conversation yeah yeah no i i see what you're saying but let me give you an example governor um umahi or whatever um uh in a boy um, there are people that don't like him, there are people that have different issues, and I'm not getting into the politics of any of that, but here's something that he, he put in place in Airboy. So he charges what they call IGR. They just call it in, in Airboy mining industry. They just say, have you paid IGR, hmm. right? And what does that mean? Well, for every ton you lift from his state, he exercises his right as the governor of that state to charge you a certain amount of money. And that amount mm -hmm. of money kept going up and up and up. And if they burn you well, don't pay it. Like, the, the amount of trouble they will give your life, <laughs> you don't want it, right? So, mm -hmm. so they, they, at, at the last I checked, they were charging 25,000 naira per ton. Um, hmm. you know. Now, what does that what does that mean it means that every ton of lead uh that you lift from 
that state, you have to pay 25,000. Now, how does he spend it? Me, I don't know, but if you go to Abakaliki today, they have some of the best roads in Nigeria. Yes, um, very evident. The street lights, I mean, there's one big roundabout in Abakaliki that looks like yeah. it's Christmas it every is. day of the year. Yeah. You know, the it lighting, you know, solar street lights, you know. Yeah. Um, it's one of the few states in Nigeria where there's no such thing as a stranded local government. Mm. Right, there's no there's no local government that you cannot get to by road, in in a in, in a boy, right? So, it, is this what what does that mean in terms of the argument for or against restructuring? I don't know, but it means that things can be get can can be done, even in, yeah. within the current system. Now, of course, restructuring giving states rights over their mineral. Uh, uh, right is makes sense. It makes a lot of sense, and they've they've done this in in some states. I think Zamfara, Osho, and um, Nasarawa. Uh, I believe they have some jurisdiction, so they can give yeah. a particular license as at the state level. I think it's the uh, co-op license. They can give you a co-op yeah. license at the state level. Um, but but what what David Mahi has shown is that look even within this potentially you know less than efficient system uh yeah. where there's the will you can actually bring money into your state mining activity here's another thing yeah here's another thing uh in your states now if uh Mackinde were to call me and say organic come and set up a warehouse in our states uh we'll give you a dollar for dollar match mm. right uh, you know, for every dollar you bring, we'll give you a dollar. Ah, I'll run there and do it, right? But if he mm. now tells me the condition is that uh, all the material that I process there must be from all your people, okay, fine, no problem. I must mm. pay them fairly, no problem. I'll pay them fairly. And then if he says I must pay 5% to the state, uh, whatever, will I argue? No. Because mm. there's right? a fair deal. Because it's a fair deal. So, so what we need to be talking about is how to. Because look, for you and me, right? We have yeah. there's zero value in us talking about restructuring because we have no power to do it. We can we can agitate for it, right? We can yeah. push for it when when you know, say you and I end up in the same room as you know, Atiku Obi or Tinobosha, cross. You know, please consider this. Yeah, fine. Yeah. But in the meantime, what then? What do we do in the meantime? Yeah. And this—that's what I'm talking about. It's like, look, okay, before somebody receives sense to do it the right way, is there something we can do at our level as private citizens? Mm. And uh, and and is there something that the governors can do? Is there something that local government people can do? Of course, there is. It's just about the will to do it. And uh, I think the examples I've given, I think, highlight that at least it's possible. Clearly. Uh, before I leave this um, commodities and mining space, you, you I don't know if you saw the news. Elon, Tesla, I learned that they approached Nigeria to find, map, or, you know, extract lithium for batteries in the future. Mm. And I learned also that Nigeria is saying you have to bring your factory here, you can't just mine away. Um, mm. uh, you, you already alluded to this as not being the best pattern or best way to approach it, but what would you say, um, you know, any further comments on that, just on a brief note? So, um, I think you can, you, you, we, we need to be careful how we structure those things, right? And I'll tell you what I mean. Um, don't ban Babatunde the miner from exporting ore. That makes no sense, um, right? Like if a Nigerian guy wants to dig up fifty tons from his backyard, let mm. him do it. And we have a mine inspectorate today, in the Ministry of Mines, right? That can make sure that Babatunde the miner is is doing things the right way, right? And yeah. he's not down, right? So I'm not saying let the industry be a wild west, right? You know, like, yeah, of course, regulations are welcome and we need to care about the environment. We need to be sustainable in the way that we source these things and so on and so yeah. forth. The risk we need to avoid, however, is 
we bring some big ultra efficient mining company into nigeria right and they are exporting they are hitting nigeria hard they're exporting the mineral even if they are processing in nigeria what do we really 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 get yeah what do we get so we get some of the jobs i guess right mm. so so we get we get okay so i always tell i told uh, the minister of mines in a conversation, conversation. That, if rio tinto came to nigeria one of the biggest mining mm. companies in the world they can mine that entire country with a staff spent of 500 right mm. okay so so is that what we really need in a country with a massive job deficit with massive unemployment and underemployment i argue that we need what i would call desirable inefficiency uh what does that mean um you don't want a guy to come to nigeria and mine everything with 500 people you need to create millions of jobs for small people yeah. just like loma right loma in lagos yeah. loma gave a lot of jobs a lot of people they're small you know not high paying jobs but it gave a lot of jobs a lot of people that's desirable inefficiency because nigeria mm -hmm. needs jobs right in mining you can create i i mean i've told the minister this uh, i submitted a proposal to this effect mm. um nigeria can create a million two hundred and fifty thousand naira a month jobs in three mm. years in mining if we're serious about it right mm. uh now think about what that does in terms of tax revenue in terms of boost yeah. our gdp in terms of you know the, the, the knock-on effect yeah, right. So the indirect employment opportunities that it produces, and so on and so forth. And I can tell Peter will be the how if he, if he wants the the uh, if he wants if uh, if he wants the idea, right? You know, uh, or whomever, whatever, right? Whomever is going to, win, right? Um, you know, so so if if they want Elon to come to Nigeria, Mr. Musk wants to come to Nigeria and say he should set up his processing plant perfect that's fine I, i'm actually not against that what what yeah. what we what matters is what is nigeria getting out of that is it the jobs because if it's just the jobs and you're paying 500 people 300 000 a month that's not worth selling your birthright over right yeah but 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 if Nigeria as a country were a fifty percent shareholder in the thing, okay, now mm -hmm. now we are talking about something. If if you know if there's tax revenue that's coming from that, if there's you know community development mandates that are being enforced, then yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's a very complex topic, but uh, you know, I I think um, you you get the gist of what I'm getting at. Yeah, I feel you. Uh, I think, I mean, largely it goes back to the Ferrari story. We then have the opportunity to play Nigerian lithium, Nigerian minerals on the global level, bigger opportunities and all of that. Yeah, on a lighter note, I wonder where you are on the on the Ferrari journey. Are you are you pretty close? <laughs> that is a funny question. So so as much of a car guy as I am, right? Uh you know, I've even been to Ferrari uh, in Italy. I've been to the dealerships, uh, the warehouse, so where where it's made, and you know, yeah. so where like if you order a La Ferrari, like the highest end Ferraris, you have to go there to take the re. So I I just went uh, because I went to see a client in the area and okay. happened to be there. So since I like, I said let me go and check it out. And in that town, there were Ferraris everywhere. I mean everywhere and they were all red which is interesting so it was mm -hmm. kind of like a, a very interesting experience that that said mm -hmm. i i'm not particularly fascinated by so i i don't where i don't know where i am in that journey uh but in terms of building long-term value yeah uh, uh building a company that we can be proud of uh you know, in terms of achieving the goal of keeping Wakanda's vibranium in the hand of Wakanda, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, where, where a lot of progress there. Yeah, so. yeah, on track. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And that's good stuff. And we wish you all the best on the journey. Before I let you go, please um, tell me why you like to invest so much. I mean, uh, Ella credits Carbon. I use Carbon and they're pretty right. interesting. I like their service and Market Force, right. Talent City. 
you're very active yeah. in the Nigerian startup space. I mean, it's pretty yeah. easy to tell why that is, but what has been your experience investing and what is the future looking like? Yeah, so so uh, the way the investing thing uh, came about uh, is, you know, a few years ago, myself and two guys came and put some money together and we invested in uh, debt notes at uh, some of these uh, credit companies. That was the first bit of investing we did. So uh, Ella Carbon and there was a smaller one uh, I don't remember their name right now. And then later on, we started, uh, we joined uh, an investment syndicate that uh, basically writes a number of checks per year. And that's mm. how, you know, we got into uh, some of these other guys, like the Rise, the Rise Market Force, uh, and so on and so forth. And I mean, the yeah, experience, so the, the way it works for me, I yeah, exactly. So the way the, the way the way it's worked, right, for, for us, um when I say us, my wife and I, uh is we basically joined a group. Uh we don't even make the decision. So it's not like I sit with the family. like in, in eventually in the beginning when we started, when yeah, those guys yeah uh, that I mentioned at the beginning when we started, we were trying to meet with founders and we did. We met with everybody, mm. you know, like every 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 startup founder you've heard of, we met with them at that time, yeah. like ah, you know, what are you people doing? How you know, what are you raising? Are you not raising? And then I realized that I didn't have a the time to invest uh full time yeah. and b I did not have the money, so I said, "Let me go and work." You understand? So, um, but so 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 I I then started giving my uh, money to groups who yeah. do those invest, and they charge their fees and they make all the decisions. They just send you an email that, oh, yeah, this is the update. Uh, we've we've invested in this company. We've invested in that company. Uh, As a matter of pride, I'm very happy to own small pieces of these companies. Um, We don't know where it's all going to go. Um, These are illiquid assets, but, um, you know, I'm I'm excited about uh, that space. space. I mean, you know, in general, like Nigeria feels a bit grim, but um, when you spend time with Nigerian founders, uh, Nigerian investors, you find you know there's a lot of there's a lot of optimism, there's a lot of hope, and that's yeah. really one of the best rewards of the whole thing. Yeah, interesting. Uh, um, finally, one more time, because I I live in you know I, I actually just moved into Ibadan, and I see the Nigerian factor, the Nigerian community rots. There is a problem in in the townships. There is the bad roads. No infrastructure, healthcare is far is far from where we are, and all of that. And it seems to me like, you know, my friends tell me that we cannot start up our way out of these problems. I wonder oh. how how you, <laughs> I wonder how people like you would. And I see that diaspora Nigerians are making efforts, trying to help, trying to send money home, trying to invest here. Do you feel there is more we can do? Because I feel bad as well i know there are many intellectuals that are graduates there are people who are you know smart and i feel mm. nigerian intelli- intelligentsia should be able to do better in advancing our small societies but we just seem not to be able to help beyond our tiny investments our tiny english language we speak english on the radio we do all these things but we can hardly do more what do you think yeah so so um uh if you don't I, i'll answer that question by sharing a quick story of a high school friend of mine who uh when i left for the us he left for the uk uh and he has a decidedly european view of the world i have a decidedly american view of the world now uh, what that means is you know america is a bit more capitalistic and europe is a bit more socialist right so uh we had an interesting debate you know uh sitting at a coffee shop and he said exactly those terms we cannot start up our way uh, uh out of 
major problems, right? Yeah. So he, his argument was that we will have superficial, um, um, like signs of development. Hmm. It's like like putting lipstick on a pig; it's still a pig, right? Yeah. Right. So yeah. so we will we will make we'll make things look slightly better. Maybe we'll build fancier apartments, but only in, in the Atlantic. You know, mm. when really, really what we need is 20 million homes to, to plug our house deficit. Uh, mm. And I argued, I'm like, of course we can start. And one of the things that I challenge myself is, um, I challenge myself to do is, you know, you should always take stock of your strongest opinions and mm. uh, see where they change. And this was one of my biggest changes. <laughs> because I used to say, like, ah, of course we can build now. What's there? We can build this. We can build that. Is and innovate. Road? We can innovate. Even road, we can innovate with road. You, just <laughs> you know, even bridge, you just, you know, airports, uh, you know, just anything, right? Um, I, I was wrong. Um, uh, there's no way to do all of this without a strong industrial policy, policy designed to uh, to help to to nudge the private sector in the right direction. So in the U.S., when they were building the railroads, they had some crazy incentives. Like for every mile of railroad you built, you get one square mile of land around the the um, the yeah. track hmm. that, that you that you laid, right? That's policy that's like saying, look, governments, we don't have money, but if you people, if you have money to do something, go and do it, and we will reward you for doing it, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's one. Government in itself needs to take some responsibilities because, look, we cannot innovate a new police force, a fire department, right? Uh, you know, we cannot innovate... I mean, with hospitals, yeah, maybe, but, but you know, we need some basic things so that yeah. average Nigerian can feel secure enough to take risks. Um, that there, there are people who uh, will never move back to Nigeria because of healthcare, and they, are, they have a very strong point, right? Because you know that if something were to happen. You know, and it happened. A friend of mine had to be airlifted to South Africa uh, because she was sick from Abuja. Oh. You know, one of our most civilized cities. They could not treat yeah. her there. They had to send her to South Africa, right? Our leaders, what am I even talking about? <laughs> our leaders yeah, are barely there them. because yeah. they're always in hospitals in London and Germany and all these things and in DSF, you know, yeah. right? So, so, so we can, yeah, I mean, the people who say we cannot innovate our way out of these big problems are correct. But there's a book I'll recommend to you and your audience yeah. uh, called, uh, I think, Prosperity Paradox uh, okay. by... Uh, uh, Professor Christensen at Harvard, who passed away and was co-written by a Nigerian guy, Efusao Jomo, um, who was a student at Harvard and uh, stayed on to work there or something, right? Um, yeah. One of the arguments that they made was, you know, they used the example of um, Tolerant, the, com the company that makes Indomie. Um, yeah, in Indonesia. Uh, uh, well, yes, but when they came to Nigeria, they weren't that big before they came to Nigeria, by the way. Yeah. Uh, when they came to Nigeria, they realized that they had to build a lot of their own things. Right? They had to build yeah. a power plant. They had to build a school to train their employees. They had to build everything, everything they had to build. Now, as they were doing that, of course, that costs money, that costs capital, but... Um, but they were also generating money because they introduced a product that Nigerians were really interested in, right? Yeah. Uh, that they did not know they were interested in until they saw it, right? So it was it was it was called an example of something called non-consumption, like targeting non well, Anyway, whatever. The the point here is that yes, we cannot innovate our way, uh, but it doesn't mean we should not innovate, right? So so like we. We have to have we have to hold two thoughts in parallel. One is what can we innovate on? Yeah. Which uh, the pay stacks. Yes, exactly. 
the pay stacks of the world are doing that, right? Yeah. And it's not just pay stack. Pay stack happens to be one of the louder ones because of the successes yeah. we had because it's been public. But there, yeah. there are guys doing very, very important, you know, work. Yeah. Uh, 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 like, yeah. like, uh, uh, what, what are these guys? Uh, seamless HR. Right, yeah. so let's is, is you know, like I mean, I, I like that company because they just they are building the piping around how employees get paid, right? Mm. You know, uh, now, there are so many things that can happen within that that you can build on top of that, like maybe micro credits to, yeah. to employees because you have visibility into their salaries, right? You know, there are people doing all kinds of interesting things, uh, and they're having success at it. Now, yeah. as we do that, we need to take time and, you know, be like our our patron saint in Aboyeji and, you know, make some noise as you are building, right? Shout, I say, uh, you know, advocate, you know, demand change, right, as you are building. But, but yes, the summary is that we will never be able to innovate our way out of every problem, but, but yeah. we can get loud enough because of innovation, we can get powerful enough to actually yeah. force the change that we want to see. Yeah, absolutely. We we are positive. We remain positive that you know, little by little, we can advance. You know, whatever is advanceable. I really, really appreciate your time, Mr. Ayoshokuton, who is founder and chief executive officer at Metalex Commodities Incorporated, uh, a company that is innovating how we mine and trade commodities in africa thank you so much for your time here not a problem at all uh thanks for having me and uh yeah, hopefully that was uh, valuable thanks guys yeah really valuable all right thanks a lot that's our conversation with ayo shokwiton chief executive officer at metalex commodities and find other episodes of the podcast on spotify apple podcasts google podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts can follow us on Twitter at Despite the Government. Government spelled G-O-V-T. Despite the G-O-V-T. I'll see you next time. <laughs>